Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being with me today. There's a survey that came out that said Americans are, are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. Oof, that's a pretty serious poll. And it said that uh, it's been a rough year for the American psyche. This is from the AP News. And that folks in the U.S. are more unhappy today than, than they've been in nearly 50 years. And the conclusion comes from this COVID response tracking study. It was done by the University of Chicago. It says that 14% of Americans say that they're very happy, down from 31% who said the same thing in 2018. So cut in half in two years. And 23% said they often or sometimes felt isolated in recent weeks. Now 50% say that. So we're going we're in a place now where more people are feeling isolated and maybe a little bit depressed. And um, people ask questions like, why would God allow this and that? And um, sometimes uh, we have a hard time struggling for answers. And my um, guest this hour is Rick Matson and John Afonso, and they've been regular guests in the past. So glad to have them back. And uh, Rick is with um, an apolog- apologetic specialist with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And Jonna is with Salem Covenant Church, a worship and community life pastor. And they are the dynamic duo. They come uh, doing show prep, so they always make me look bad. Uh, Rick, Jono, welcome. Hi. Why are you there, laughing? It's nice true. You. <laughs> we prepped for you. Yeah, I know. You always prep for me, which uh, makes me happy, by the way. So nice to have you uh, here. And I'm also just uh, want to jump into this study a little bit because uh, viruses have been around from the beginning of time, haven't they? Yeah. Yes, they have seems like built right into creation. Yeah. Even before the fall, uh, it's built into the system. Uh, they have their function. And then uh, it seems like at the fall, then things got uh, out of whack, or at least potentially out of whack. Uh, Genesis 3 talks about the curse that's on the earth. And now there's imbalances and uh, distortions. And, you know, it's a broken world after Genesis 3. And so something that is intended as part of the good creation, that being viruses, now is just wreaking havoc all over the world. Mm-hmm. Some people ask, is this a direct judgment of God upon us? And some might answer yes. Others might say, well, no, it's an indirect uh, judgment in a sense because God allows bad things to happen to to people around the world uh, others say, well, no, it's a neutral thing. And this is part of our calling to subdue the earth. Uh, we're called to do that right away in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, to be God's viceroys, his agents, his representatives, his partners in subduing the earth and bringing it to perfection. And now you've got a virus out of control. What are we going to do about that uh, as we engage in science, as the church engages in prayer and service, uh, health care? And John probably wants to talk about the pastoral end of this and maybe the healthcare end of this in a second. But if we are God's partners in solving this, then we really need to get to it. And it seems to me there's really something to that 
after the fall, things are out of control. And uh, we need to work with the Lord to bring it back to where it's supposed to be. I kind of liked Rick, you and I, when we were talking, we were prepping for Bill. Prepping. Um, <laughs> we, um, you kind of described kind of responses to things like this, these sort of natural threats. This is not a result of sort of direct human evil that you could point to, like a war or something like that. Kind of three ways of framing that three, theologically that was really helpful for me. Would you just do that frame up? Yeah, the first option is that the virus is built into the system. Secondly, that it's a result of the fall. Thirdly, that it's a hybrid. Yes, it's built into the system, but now it's gone haywire uh, after the fall. One of the things I love about that frame up is just the thought that the world in its pre-fallen state was not meant to be an easy world. It wasn't, I mean, human beings are designed to learn and to grow and to overcome. And so that um, there were issues going to arise in this whole subduing project, you know. And um, But we were specially equipped and we walked with God in the cool of the day and had immense resources for that before the fall. And now post-fall, it feels like there's just a lot of devastation and we're just scrambling to keep up on it. But I, I love that picture of us in a in a growing uh, state as human beings and and helping develop creation itself uh, alongside of God who actually brought it into being. Theologians sometimes talk about this developmental model. And I think it's a popular thought, contrary to that, it's popular to say, well, the world was created perfect. Well, it's created perfect insofar as it was created exactly as God wanted to. So it's his perfection. Let's not impose our perfection on that. Our perfection is that there's no problems, there's no work to do, everything is easy. And you just alluded to this idea that there uh, there are projects that God has given us to do. And in uh, Genesis 1, uh, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds. That's tasks. That's a project there. This is a developmental model for humanity. It's a kind of laboratory to see where humanity can go, really, in partnership with God. And then in Genesis 2, um, there was no one to work the ground. Well, why does the ground need to be worked? Because it needs to develop. It needs to grow. It needs to be perfected. There's chaos in the system, in God's perfection, there's still chaos in the system that needs to be worked on. And then uh, Genesis 2.15, yeah. That's yeah, a great point, yeah, Rick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in Genesis 2.15 here, Bill, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It is a project. I'm not a gardener myself. I'm told it's work. <laughs> and you know, maybe it wasn't as hard as after the fall when the ground is cursed. Nevertheless, these are the sorts of building projects that the Lord has his first uh, people engaged in when he first created Adam and Eve. Yeah, I just love that picture of um, of this, of God as he's creating, creating all this potential in creation, then inviting humanity to partner with him in bringing creation to its fullness, fullness. to its completeness. And um, that got, like you said, by the time we hit Genesis 3, there's a big mess that happens there. That project got broken. But actually, we believe we're going to return to that project. Gen Revelation seems to say 
we're going to get back to that. You know, we're going to get back to that bringing creation to its fullness and completeness. And yeah, I, I just love that picture because then you, you don't, you, it, I don't know, it, it, in some way it normalizes or brings things like a pandemic into the world that God created rather than being this wild out of, we don't know what we're going to do. There's no plan. We don't, um, everything feels out of control. Um, instead to see them as a part built into creation. Again, we poured gas on the fire with the fall and, and created a worse problem, but these are given to us to solve and to work and to plan. And so God doesn't just come along with magic wands and wave them over things and kind of solve it like that. He's inviting his human creation come and rule, rule and subdue. This is your invitation here. Um, I know our, at our church, we pray a lot for the people who are in the laboratories right now and are working that, that those moments of serendipity, that the Holy Spirit would bring the ideas and, and be hovering over those labs as they're trying to figure out how to handle this virus, looking for either a cure or a vaccination. And I think that's good. That's a good picture of the Holy Spirit in um, partnership with humanity. You and I have talked a lot the last few years about this idea of God working slowly. <laughs> and you just use the f- phrase magic wand that he, he doesn't just waltz in and solve stuff in a second. God works on things for the long haul. So in Scripture, you might say, well, how did God work on slavery? That takes the whole Bible. How did God work on marriage? Well, it starts off good, then it goes off the rails for a few centuries, then starts coming back. In the New (laughs) Testament, you finally got it where it's supposed to be, of the place of, of, of relations between men and women or between ethnicities. All these things God works on a little at a time, and and we've kind of kicked around this phrase of God works on problems at the speed of humanity rather than the speed of deity. Well, every once in a while, that's not true. Every once in a while, the Red Sea parts, the <laughs> resurrection happens, and that's his, his speed and his timing. But a lot of it, he uh, works through the intricacies of human processes to advance this whole idea of perfecting the earth and especially perfecting it in terms of the kingdom of God. Rather than just coming in and waving the wand, snapping his finger, God is not in the finger snapping business, at least not very often. It seems like most of the time he works in and through us. And so the church then is called to be his partners in this uh, developmental model, in this uh, model of spreading the goodness of the kingdom throughout the world. You know, the perfect example of this is the incarnation, that Jesus came and walked alongside uh, human beings. He was a human being, fully God and fully man. And he doesn't take a magic carpet ride around the world doing uh, spectacular stuff. It's very localized. Uh, it's, it, it takes place on the dusty roads of Palestine. And so you see God in the flesh uh, working at the speed of humanity rather than the speed of deity. And then at just the right time, he does that miracle that opens up these vistas to the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and that's where you see people moving forward in their partnership with God and in, in bringing the world to its completion. 
That's really interesting. I hope we, we can maintain this for the rest of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, we're off to a brilliant start. That was my only speech on that one. I hope, I hope we got more material because this is solid stuff. All right, let me take a little break. Rick Manson, John Fonts are my guests. If you have a question or something you'd like us to tackle, uh, we love talking apologetics for sure. 877-933-2484. Be right back. back with Rick Matson and John Fonts. Rick's uh, actually put out a couple books. One is called Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. Another book is called Faith Unexpected. It's a collection of real stories of people who found what they never imagined. They're, they're both wonderful reads. Um, and Rick, where's the easiest place to get a hold of these books? Uh, you can go on uh, Amazon. Okay, or the yeah. trunk of your car. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Come on over to my house. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got them. All right, so, uh, Johnny, you had mentioned that your church is praying for scientists. I find mm-hmm. that just fascinating, that that is an approach you, you're doing. And uh, maybe you would talk, uh, Rick, maybe about science has its, really does have its roots in Christianity, doesn't it? Yeah, the early scientists uh, in the West believed that God had created an ordered world that we could study and understand, and it was part of this idea of subduing the world and bringing order out of chaos. And so they studied it. And for the betterment of all humankind, not just Christians or something like that, for the betterment of all humankind. Uh, so you've got Kepler and Galileo and Newton and, and the whole crew then. And these were Christians. They believed in God and they believed in a world that was created by God that uh, uh, was ordered, that the laws of nature uh, were set up by God to benefit us. And now after the fall, uh, part of subduing then was to use those things to help other people. And so uh, science arose in the West. And now you're talking about praying for more scientists to work on COVID and to work on other problems that we have here. I really love that because we need more Christians uh, to go into science and to blend together the theology and their science, blend together this notion of God as the master scientist, the master creator, and we are his subjects and partners in the lab uh, working on these problems. Uh, Dale Gentry, who is a professor at Northwestern uh, University, um, actually has a whole curriculum about this, just helping people think uh, Christianly about science. So I just encourage you, you can look him up. It's G-E-N-T-R-Y. Just Google him. And That's right. I met him recently. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Good call. And he is Dale just a... Gentry? Gentry. Yes. Yeah. And he is really doing work on this and saying this feeling that somehow science and Christianity are at odds is... Um, is so not helping the cause and so not building the kingdom and so not rooted in this Genesis call, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So I do, I pray we, our, our church has a lot of professionals, including a lot of doctors and scientists. And uh, I feel deeply grateful their presence in our community and we want to bless them and strengthen them as they partner with God in their work 
out there. And related to science per se is healthcare. Also mm-hmm. in the West, health care comes largely, maybe not exclusively, but largely out of uh, Christianity that it was the people in the Roman Empire who were Christians who took care of people on the streets who were thrown out by the system, had no place to turn. And Christians took them in at their own risk to their own health and took them in. And then uh, monasteries became little mini hospitals in in the West uh, for many centuries. And today you see the kind of uh, evidence of all this in St. Luke's and St. Jude's and St. James and St. Joseph's and St. Mary's and all these (laughs) hospitals with Christian names or something related to Christianity uh, so that health care really has its own uh, roots in the West, in in the Christian faith. And then, of course, uh, doctors and nurses who are Christians, they do these things in the name of God following the great physician. Mm Jesus himself. So there's a lot to talk about in healthcare as well. Right. Yeah. There's just a, it's a powerful field to enter into. Um, I think of Jesus naming that being, I, when I was sick, you took care of me. He names in Matthew 25 and that call to, and he names several communities there that he is resident in. And when we attend to those communities, including the sick, we're actually attending to Christ himself, he says. He he receives that. And so, yeah, it's a powerful ministry. So if you're out there and you're uh, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, uh, both Rick and I, well, of course, we're theologians, so we'd love to promote that. There's that. But <laughs> we would really encourage you to consider the sciences and how powerful God's call on your life um, and the work that you might do through that would be. And not to mention the world-class nursing program right here at the University of Northwestern. That's right. That's right. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Wonderful. And all of this zooming out, then all of this goes back to the original vision God had for creating human beings as his representatives, his partners in subduing the world in this laboratory, this project, this story that he's writing. And the beginning has this world that's not quite yet grown up. And he invites us into working uh, with him on that. And then after the fall, the call is still the same. Now the environment is different. The context is different. But the call is the same. And that is to walk with him in close partnership to be his representatives on the earth, his representatives in engineering, in sciences, in healthcare, in theology, and in all of the disciplines and all of the vocations. We are his partners. And so for those of us who work in the university setting, we keep telling students, integrate your your faith and your theology into your discipline because God is there in your discipline. He got there before you. He called you into it. And he can use you and use your discipline for the betterment of the world, the perfection of the creation. Uh, And then I was thinking too, uh, Bill, here about Romans 8, that the creation itself has been subjected to futility and awaits its liberation. And it's looking to us. It is. It's looking. It is. Yeah, it waits for the, uh, what does it say? I forget exactly. The revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Uh, So that the world's restoration and the kingdom of God, uh, those two things uh, go hand in hand. Uh, And then we'll someday see the new heaven and the new earth, and it'll be a magnificent sight. Even compared with the original pristine state, it'll be a magnificent sight. 
So I think on a pastoral level, I just want to really encourage you as you maybe look around shaking your head at what has happened in our world because of a pandemic and you sort of feel like things are out of control and how did this happen and and maybe you feel lost or maybe even despair creeps in we were all actually talking before the show how we all have our bad days you know but what i want to encourage you in this is to assume that pandemics are a part of the world god is not surprised and god even now is calling people and equipping them and empowering them to bring this um, this disruption, this uh, frightening disease, into into being a subdued disease. That's that we're learning about this virus and how to control it and how to um, protect ourselves from it. That um, there's nothing to be shocked about or let your faith be shaken by. Um, God is at work. He's just, as Rick said, it's this incrementalist. It's that all of us together, slowly, gently, through the nudges of his spirit and through our own creativity, our imagination, our intellect, are creating that solution. It may not feel like it's fast enough. It may feel like this whole virus thing's lasting way too long. But God just has this way of being way more patient um, to include his human partners in whatever solutions he's offering. Have you had this thought um, regarding the COVID-19? Well, I guess now it's my turn. Not to, not to get it, <laughs> but to have an experience. I mean, we weren't alive in 1918 when the Spanish flu came through That's and 50 right. million people died. Yeah. So who says we get to escape one of these right. pandemics? Right. Yeah. And even with our travel and things like that, we just know logically right. that these things are going to spread more readily maybe than ever. And in fact, we could see the fact that we haven't had a pandemic since 1918 as a true grace of God, that he's built some things into the system that makes a pandemic not just a every other week occurrence. He restrains evil more than we know or right. more than we think. Yeah, or destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And don't, you, don't you guys think that there's an expectation in our culture, even in Christian culture, that we uh, are exempt from suffering, that uh, we've done everything right, that we're in the modern era uh, with science and technology and healthcare the way it is. Um, suffering is in the past, and we don't deserve it. We won't be part of it. It's not going to visit us. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Do well, you think that's kind I, of I out say there? I mean, I find want, it in my own heart. To yeah. Do, oh, I know. Honestly. <laughs> oh, I know. I am a. I am a solid American. I'm like, if you want to tick Americans off, make them uncomfortable, right? That's wow. if you just want to tick us <laughs> off. That's what you got to do. And I feel the same. That I. It's. It has been a reorientation for me to read the scriptures and see a biblical perspective on suffering, that God is not afraid of suffering. Mm -hmm. Let's pick that up after the break. Rick Manson and John Afonso are my guests. We'll be back. If you have a question or something you heard you'd like us to clarify, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Today at unwsp.edu. 
Rick Banson and John Fonts are my guests. Right before the break, we were talking, making reference to God. It's just not afraid of suffering. You know, you look at the, the Bible and you think, well, practically every page is a suffering person writing to suffering people. It's filled with suffering. <laughs> it is. So true. And that when God was incarnate, he chose to suffer. Mm-hmm. I mean, most profoundly. Um, yeah, I mean, Scripture just paints this picture of suffering as a formation process. Mm. And I say in this world, I've seen that formation either make or break people. I mean, I always feel like when suffering hits a life, I'm there rooting for the making of them, for the the process that, that could go on, that strengthens, that frees them from sin, that um, builds their character, that produces hope in them. Um, but I'm also aware that the danger of suffering is that it can break people and they never, ever recover from those moments of suffering. But the picture, again, I want to point toward in Scripture, um, Romans 5 is just one of several passages that talk about this process of suffering. So Romans 5, verse 3 through 5 um, And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. So just think about that for a minute. Not moaning about our sufferings, but we boast in them, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So there's this powerful movement right there that we gain endurance through suffering. And when we've gained endurance, then our character is strengthened and built our ability to be who we were meant to be, no matter what the circumstances around us. And then our character produces hope. When we see transformation in our own lives, when we get to be who we were meant to be, then amazingly, we feel like there's hope for everything. (laughs) If there's hope for me, then there's hope for everything in the world. And then that beautiful promise that hope won't disappoint us because God's love is being shed all across the world, that 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 hope is met ultimately in love. So that's just a beautiful, and like I said, one, you can look at other scriptures where there is this process going on in suffering. And if we are willing to, to give up our comfort, to, to let go of that, um, and to trust that God is at work in in whatever we're going through. And the COVID, ha- as you named, has produced incredible suffering. We're much less happy. We're much more lonely. We're much more isolated. But to hear that God has a plan for this, not that he sent this on you or he's forcing you to suffer. I don't want you to hear that, but he's going to use this to produce character and endurance and hope that leads to this amazing love of God in the world. Yeah, he makes a good out of bad. Of You know, when I go out and talk with college students, uh, this idea of comfort often comes up. And one of the phrases I use is that, this is a tough one, I got to say, it's tough for me. Uh, and it says... Uh, that God is more interested in our character than our comfort. I guess my stereotype of God, just taken from the culture, is that God would make everything comfortable. And he's not that into comfort. I mean, that, 
that that's hard for me to uh, imagine. You'd think he would be. After all, he's God. After all, he's perfect. After all, we like comfort. Therefore, I deserve it. And that's what God gives me, that he's not super into comfort, but he's much more into developing us as people into his image along the lines that you just mentioned. That's a radical thought. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing I think that separates Christian faith from a lot of other worldviews out there. Right. And it makes it, dare I use the word, it makes it uncomfortable, really. Right. So but double I think, entendre. Yeah, I just feel like there's a there's a really powerful, I mean, I'm just again and again hearing, even in the world of psychology that wouldn't have anything to do with Christianity, talking about how we were made for overcoming suffering, that vulnerability is the most intensely uncomfortable thing that you can do and the most intensely rewarding and powerful thing. So I think we're just hearing this over and over it's just hard to give up our comfort. We've created a society that is catering to our comfort all the time. And I think that's a tough one to let go of. You remember the book, uh, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey. Much of that book is about, it's in hard times that we grow. And then he shows in the Bible where people are, uh, you know, during the good times, they tend to actually relax in their, their faith. They're not as faithful in the good times as they are uh, when they really have to depend on God and when he's bringing them through those trials. And I think that, I mean, that just has lived out in our physical bodies, you know, lying on the couch eating potato chips is very, very comfortable. However, not (laughs) very good. You know, it's like the same, the, uh, a, a parallel there. So I just want to say, if you are in the midst of some pretty intense suffering during this time, and maybe you've lost someone, um, or maybe you've lost your job, um, or your family is in some way falling apart, we know that that suffering has been intensified out there. And I just want to say how, how sorry I am that you are going through this. And I want to encourage you that there are, um, there are steps ahead no matter where you are in that. And in fact, there are even, I just want to throw this out there, if this is okay, Bill, I'm just going to throw out kind of four stages of healing, and maybe that'll help you at least frame a story for yourself of where you are. Um, kind of the first stage when you've been hit with suffering um, is uh, to actually lament. It's to own what has happened to you. It's to accept it. I think a lot of times our why questions, like why did God have this happen? Why did God allow the coronavirus? Why did I lose my job? Why did my my mother or my grandmother die? Um, those kind of why questions are ways of kind of, they're natural, it's okay, but they're ways of pushing away the acceptance of what has happened. And so your first step in this is just to get your head around, this has happened to me and I accept it. It, it, It's what's come into my life. I can pray about it. I can weep about it. I can process it with people, but it's here and I accept it. And I'm not going to keep trying to deny it or pretend like it's not happening. The next stage of healing is to really um, 
discover uh, two things, humility and empathy. So first of all, this idea that I'm not um, beyond, um, I, I'm not so good that this should have never happened to me, or uh, it's that uh, owning that I'm a part of a broken world. I have things to learn here. Um, this this happens to me because it happens to all humanity. This uh, it, It's an ongoing acceptance of sort of what, what's coming into your life and what God may be teaching you, a, a new openness, like, okay, so it happened, I lost my job. I wonder what God might have for me in this. I wonder if I might learn something here. And then the empathy stage, I often say, is about empathy for yourself to recognize that this is hard and be kind to yourself, um, but also empathy for others who are going through what you're going through and maybe even able to give voice in places to those. The third stage is beginning to find points of light in the middle of what can feel like a very dark time. So you discover uh, something good that happened or some awareness that has been raised or a, a prayer that you've prayed that's really connected you to God, a scripture that has really come to life in a new way. You begin to see these little flashes of hope and of light and maybe an interview here or a or a, a question from a colleague there that leads you on a process toward a new job or um uh, you know, whatever the, th- there are these moments, these flashes of light that give you hope that you begin to see um, in the midst of the darkness, good is emerging. And then kind of the final stage of healing is that we begin to see it all in the light of a bigger story. We recognize that the suffering has come, but in the midst of that, Gosh, God was really redeeming this time. He was doing something bigger than I imagined. He was transforming me. He was changing my family. Um, I've received a new call in a new area of work or to a new company. And and you have this sense of a bigger story that you're a part of where God was at work the whole time, but the suffering kind of locked you out of seeing it. Those are just some like ways of kind of framing where you are at in the flow of your suffering journey. I hope you can name the stage you're in, but recognize where you're going. Recognize that that hope that leads to the intense love of God, that's where this journey is headed. Nicely said, John. A really nice work. How many times have you heard this where somebody would go through something really terrible in life and you would feel really sorry for them, but then maybe a year later they would say, that might have been one of the most important things that's ever happened to me, or that was the most amazing thing looking back um, that changed my life in a significant way. You hear it all the time, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and experience it myself, you You, know, in my own life. Yeah. Hindsight is a wonderful thing in a Christian life. Looking back is really important. The rearview mirror is one of the most important vantage points of the Christian life, I would say, because you can see God's faithfulness. Think also there are times where we never do find out. We never know why something happened. There's just a mystery to that. When we go before the Lord someday, we can ask him. But oftentimes we do have that experience. I look back, I wouldn't trade that suffering or that hard time, that hardship, uh, for anything, because I can see the good that came out of it. When I think of some of the 
results of the pandemic, and I think of the word anguish because a lot of people have suffered anguish. Mm-hmm. And I thought of the word anguish out of Luke chapter 22, where it said, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. There's a man in anguish. Right. I've never been in anguish to the point where I was sweating blood. Right. Yeah. The um, I just think over and over we come to the incarnation and we come to Jesus, who when he came, he could have chosen any walk of life. He could have. High and dry. He could have remained above it all. Could have been Caesar in Rome if yep. he wanted to, you know. Yeah. But instead, he enters into oppressed people. He enters into being born in a stable. He enters into being a falsely accused prisoner mm-hmm. who is unjustly executed. It's, uh, you know, it, it, God entered in, in in a way that probably most of us never would into um, the suffering of this world. His, and he had a choice. His <laughs> friends were confused by him. His family thought he was nuts. Right. And he was homeless. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think of three symbols of the life of Christ. There are others. Three would be the manger, the donkey, (laughs) and the cross. It's not the palace, (laughs) the scepter, the throne. I mean, that comes later, really, at the end of time, Christ being glorified. But here on earth, it's the manger, donkey, and cross. That should tell us something about the nature of what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. I want to take a little break when I come back. I would love to um, revisit this this incremental process that God oftentimes walks us through, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. No, yeah. let's do Rick it. Rick Manson, John Afonso. Rick's got a couple of books. Faith is like skydiving and other memorable images for dialogue with seekers and skeptics. And also Faith Unexpected, a collection of real stories of people who found what they never imagined. It's powerful stories of transformation, which is what the gospel does. We'll be right back. conversation we're having today. I want to go back to talking about how God is incremental. I think that's an important point I want to revisit or talk more about. Who wants to start? I hear a lot on college campuses that students want God to be fair as we define fairness. Therefore, God will take care of stuff and he'll do it pretty fast. When they look back in the Bible and they see, especially in the Old Testament, some of the more troublesome passages of uh, genocide and violence and so forth, uh, God shouldn't do that because that God doesn't fit my preconception of what God and who God is. And uh, then back to this idea of justice and fairness then with uh, slavery and uh, patriarchy and marriage and concubinage. And there's so many issues. Uh, Why doesn't God just solve it? And then so sometimes I say to them, okay, well, you answered this question for me. Why didn't Jesus come to die for sins five minutes after Adam and Eve fell uh, away from God. Well, it's because God is allowing the consequences of our sin and brokenness to play themselves out in this timeline. 
And he calls us then to work with him on this slow, incremental process of bringing the world uh, back to order. Uh, Paul Copan, a famous philosopher, in his book, uh, oh, am I going to remember it here? I'll remember it in a second as soon as someone else is talking. Uh, and, and that is, uh, he says God is an incrementalist. He works uh, in gradations. He works a little bit at a time. And when we insist in the name of fairness or something like that, when we insist that he solve every crisis instantaneously, we're really not working within his character and his intentions for how the world should go. Right. Well, and I think that sometimes when we're asking for that, what we're doing is really obliterating the human will. Like we're remo- like humans have screwed that up, so let's just remove them from the picture. And wondrously, God has never decided to do that. Right. He just, he never gives up on us. And uh, obliterating our will, he is, is a, um, it's a line he does not want to cross. That's what demons do. Demons obliterate human will gladly. But God really honors human will and there's just this constant invitation into partnership with us. He doesn't want us just shoved aside. All right, you guys screwed up. Move over there. I'll fix it. You know. You know, one of the neglected portions of Scripture I don't hear much hear about hear it talked about much is the not the exile to Babylon. We hear about that all the time. It's the exile in Egypt. Four hundred years of well, not all of it was suffering. The, 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 the first part of it went pretty, went pretty well, well. <laughs> but after a generation, you've, you've got a lot of time there of, of Egypt, of uh, Israel suffering uh, at the hands of Egypt and the pharaohs and the oppression of the people. Now, when I'm oppressed for three months, um, I'm mad and I think God is treating me unfairly. Let's turn three months into 350 years here. That's, that's a different kind of oppression and suffering. And it just reminds me how God works a little bit at a time. He's not in a hurry. He has patience, and it's maddening sometimes, but he has his timing. We have our timing. They're often not the same. And the more we align ourselves to this idea of God being uh, an incremental uh, worker in our world, I think the happier we're going to be in our relationship with God because our expectations will be more in line with how he does his work and what he originally intended from the outset. I also feel like there's an invitation there. I mean, if uh, if God is just constantly waving the magic wand and fixing everything, then we really literally yeah. just, What's oh, the what purpose? can we do, yeah. right? But if God is an in- incrementalist and he's inviting me into this, then maybe I could be part of the increment. Exactly. I mean, I can't fix everything about racism, but maybe I can take a step. Maybe I can read a book. Maybe I can do some inner reflection on what's happening. I, I'm invited into that instead of just waiting for the big wand to just fix that thing. There's a kind of magic uh, uh, genie uh, portrayal of God out there. And I really want to defeat the magic genie. <laughs> like uh, with the genie, you just rub the lamp in the right way and the genie will perform. It's not like that. Uh, Rather than being high and dry like a genie might be, God actually became one of us, and he partook of what we partake of. He was tempted as we are tempted. And so there's this uh, deep sense of participation by God in in our world, and we need to take our cues from that, I think. Yeah, that's good. 
That's very good. I got to say, <laughs> I, I love the idea that God is working in an incremental way with us because if we don't think about that and realize that's true, we're going to feel perpetually frustrated. Right. Because God's not really working on a time schedule that's reasonable to me. Right. And if that's not working in a reasonable way, then maybe there's something else to look at. And when you talk about the suffering in the world, uh, one of God's main solutions is the church. He calls his people to go out and be the solution in the power of his spirit, not just Mm -hmm. out there on our own while he's sitting up in heaven uh, sipping a cocktail. He is with us and, and through us, and he gives us his spirit so that we will build his kingdom in the world. And I think this sort of work dignifies what it means to be a finite human being. Again, just like you said, Johnny, he could wave his wand. uh, He could solve it all in an instant. Instead, he works in and through us as he calls uh, calls us to himself and then calls us to go out and bring repair and healing to a broken world. There's a dignity uh, in that. Uh, and that's what it means to be created in the image of God, to act as his representative, as his agent uh, yeah. out there in a broken world. Yeah, I think that I just um, I just love that invitation because honestly, if he just waved his wand and fixed the whole world and made it all right, I would just screw it up again. I mean, <laughs> I, I would just, I, I couldn't even get home before I would have messed something up. Mm. And so instead... He's inviting me into this process so that not only is the world changed, but I'm changed too. And I get to continue to be a part of this transforming world. Again, he just, he wants his human creation to be in this world and to, as where we started, to rule and subdue it. He doesn't want to push us aside and have to rule and subdue it himself. Why create us if that were the case? (laughs) You know, he doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. I still find that hard to grasp. When you think of being eight years old and working on a math problem and your dad is next to you and your dad teaches math at a college level, you could just fill in the answer, right? Yeah. And make it real easy. But I don't think your dad's going to want to do that. He's going to want to make you think, try to figure out how to understand, right? Right. And it might be frustrating for the eight-year-old. Dad, I thought you'd teach this at a college. (laughs) I mean, you're just going to feel like, uh, help me here. Make this go quicker. And I think the truth is that the loving parent, the loving father knows how to construct the time to bring out the best result for the for the, the child. Yeah. I and mean, the, God is just not a helicopter God. No. no. <laughs> he doesn't just yeah. zoom in and rescue, you know. He is inviting us into that process. And again, I'm not, I don't want to be like rooting for suffering. So I want you to hear that. I want you to hear um, if you're listening today and things are tough, I want you to hear how, how much compassion and empathy I feel. And I'll be praying for you and praying that this um, suffering season ends. But I do want to point toward the power of suffering, that this power of that Jesus entered into the suffering of the world, we enter into the suffering, um, that your suffering is not meaningless, even though it is very hard and you want that season to be done. 
um, I was just thinking about as we were uh, prepping for this. Prepping. Some, I know. <laughs> we're doing a little training with Bill these days. But, um, uh, as, and thinking about just the seasons of suffering that I've been through. And I, I want to own that I'm a middle class uh, white American who has probably missed out on a lot of suffering. But the, the, the amount of suffering that I've faced, things that I've learned are things that um, I um, have a lot of pride and expectation about my own comfort levels. I have kind of an addiction to it that as soon as something gets hard, I want to bolt. Um, I've realized that my love is very conditional and temporary, that I don't have a very strong love on my own. Um, I've realized that sin is a far greater problem than I ever knew before I went through suffering. Um, I've realized how much I want to be in control um, and that control is not a great uh, discipleship process. It's actually surrender, the opposite of that. And um, I've learned that Jesus' ability to save is stunning and it is always way bigger than I ever imagined. Um, and I would not know those things about myself or about my Lord if I hadn't gone through mm. some of the hard things yeah. I've faced. Well, you appreciate your being with me today. Your show prep was brilliant. <laughs> show prep A, content A. Those are my grades. Nice work. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks Bill. Thanks for having us. So Matt great to be with John you. John Afonso have been my guests. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for spending your time with me and Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. We're coming to the end of June, which is going to complete our fiscal year. And your generosity has been overwhelming. And we're getting so close to just being at 100%, something we've never done in the history of Faith Radio. We're so close. So if you can uh, make a gift at this stage, we would just be absolutely thrilled. But thank you for praying for us and supporting and listening. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.